Welcome to the Sick Palette Podcast with me, Deepa Shreeder. I'm your host. Um, we have another interview podcast, and this one is very near and dear to me because it is with Tara Chapman of Two Hives Honey. So I, I'm trying to get better at introing our guests, our, the collective hour, um, without gushing too much, but it's really hard when I personally know the, uh, I had the same issue when I was, um, introducing Kenny of Rage and Release. So, um, Tara, I've known Tara for years and years and years, I feel. I, I didn't realize how long I'd known her until I tried to go back into, uh, when we first started doing business together, um, when I first heard about her and how quickly we kind of um, basically started working together in so many different ways and continue to work with each other. So, uh, you know, she has supplied me frames of honey for supper clubs, um, helped me with different kinds of projects that involve honey. Uh, I've made honey ghee with her stuff. Um, and I always go back to her not just because she's an enjoyable person, but she really does have the best fucking honey in the state. Um, I say that in the state because I feel like I have now tried enough honey and I've tried a lot of honey companies in Texas. And uh, what you get with Tara is a complex, really incredibly rich honey. And I, I am saying complex and rich because it's not necessarily, it's not just like sweet, but you're getting so much more out of it. Um, and more so she is an incredible businesswoman who has really delved into so many different kinds of projects, um, and is always thinking of different ways of educating people about honey, um, And how they can make sure that they are getting the best honey that's around them. So let's let's get it started. Oh wait, let me let me do the ending stuff here. So that way we can just let this episode go. And you don't have to hear me like closing up the episode. So of course, follow um at sick palette on Instagram. Um and Everyone is going to be able to hear this episode. Obviously, I want everyone to hear this episode. Uh, but if you are wondering to yourself, how can I continue to support Deepa Shreeder in these endeavors, especially Sick Palette, please, please, please consider um, getting yourself a $30 a year subscription to the podcast slash newsletter. Um, it's going to be really exciting because there's going to be a few things coming up content wise and other other things wise which um it will be definitely in your benefit to get that subscription so think about that as well and follow two hives on instagram um if you are in austin texas you know make sure you book yourself like a weekend trip to maynard texas to where their shop is uh where her her essentially her honey ranch is that what we call it? A honey ranch? Check her out. Um, she's She's got a lot going on. 
Um, so let's, let's get to it. Let's talk honey. Let's talk marketing. Let's talk honey marketing and some other stuff. Uh, <laughs> okay. I'm done here. Okay. So first Enjoy. things first, Tara, um, I, as you know, I've been a huge fan of your particular honey. It is for some reason, just a million times better than anyone else's here in Austin, Texas. So I wanted to first talk a little bit about your journey, you know, as uh, the creator of Two Hives. Um, I know you've answered this question a million times over, so I don't want to like bore you especially, but if you can just give like a quick little history and gist of how you became um, the the honey mogul that you are. <laughs> sure. So I have a little bit of a um, unique journey of how I got here. Um, I, so I'm from Texas originally, and then my first job out of college was with the federal government. I worked in a few different capacities, but spent the majority of my time working in intelligence. And so I spent a lot of time traveling, a lot of time in Afghanistan and Pakistan and Kuwait. And so I was working with the federal government for almost a decade and then on a trip back to Austin, took a beekeeping class. Um, I found this class on Groupon. Do you still remember Groupon? I I don't know (laughs) if that is still a thing. (laughs) The younger crowd listening might not be like, what the hell is Groupon? Uh, But anyway, found this beekeeping (laughs) class, took this class and then just fell in love and was looking for something different. Um, and yeah, jumped in, quit my job, knew nothing about nothing and worked for a beekeeper in East Texas to learn the craft because it is a very nuanced form of agriculture. Um, you know, I, have always said, this isn't like throwing food and water out for chickens with help. And I had no idea what it was like to take care of chickens. Um, I now (laughs) own, I had five chickens and then one was a rooster. So we had to we had to dismiss her. Uh, and um, now we have four. So now I know what it's like to have chickens. And yes, it's much more challenging than putting food and water out for chickens. So, and that's how I got started. And we started, um, you know, um, just doing, uh, I didn't have honey. You don't really get honey from a hive for a year. So I had a whole year that I was like, hi, I own a honey company and no, I don't have any honey. Um, (laughs) and so, uh, started running tours, like basically charging my friends to come and like get into my hives with me is how it started. I would cold call meetup groups and say, I have the opportunity for you. Would your group like to come and get in a real beehive? And I would charge them. So that's where we started doing classes and experiences and have just kind of grown from there. You know, I, I find it so fascinating that it basically to, to have a honey company, you have a little bit of like the idea that you just have to have an investment. It's, it, there's so many similarities I feel when I hear about what, especially the stuff that I've learned from you about honey is it's so similar to wine in a lot of ways. There is this idea of locality and especially you know, I love the way that you guys package stuff where you can say like, this is from the East Austin uh, location. This is from this garden. You know, it is really about like the kind of terroir. I always say that word terribly, but um, it, it has a little bit of that sense of this is where this is being collected and these are the notes of it. So is that something that you find in other honey companies? Um, Cause I find that to be so specific with you. 
Yes. Okay. So um, you're absolutely right that just like with wine, there's, um, you know, the weather that year is going to make the grapes more acidic, less acidic, the soil they were grown in. There's all sorts of things that go into it. And then of course, winemakers, actually, I, I just learned this this year. There is a lot that they can do from one wine and make lots of different wines. There's lots of things they can do after the fact, but there's no doubt that like where it was grown and what the weather was that year makes a difference in the wine. And then similar yeah. with honey, um, really it all comes back to different flowers make different honeys, right? So whether you've got a single origin, so you've got one honey where all of the nectar comes from mesquite trees, for example, right? So that's a single origin. Or you've got a multifloral where it means you've got two, 10, you know, 20 different nectars that go in. Um, there's still this rainbow of colors and textures and flavors. And mm -hmm. so it's not that we do anything necessarily special to our honey to give it all these different flavors and notes. It's what we don't do rather. Um, mm -hmm. and so, you know, when you go to the grocery store and you, and you buy honey, the grocery store tells you that honey is a commodity, right? So like, just like sugar, Right. I can buy sugar from this guy or that guy or this gal. And it's, it's all sugar. If it's all cane sugar, it's all the same. Mm -hmm. And the grocery store tells us that honey's a commodity, but it's not. The reason that it feels like it is, is because most honey companies that are at the grocery store. And I say, I mean, by far and large. So I caveat that because like we're in some local Whole Foods, right? right? So like we're in grocery stores, a few, but almost all the honeys that you find at the big box stores are from what are called honey packers. So I know people say, but it says the name of my city on the front of the bottle. And so it must be local, right? It's usually yeah. not. It's usually not. And so wow. what those companies do is they're just honey packers. And so what that means is they buy honey from lots of beekeepers, lots of, it could be different states. It can even be different countries. And so, and then it all gets blended together. So when you get, you take this honey is that in of itself, when they're harvested in small batches and you get to taste the flavor from that season and from that harvest and you throw it all together, then you lose the beauty of the flavors and the colors and the textures. And it just gives us this generic color and flavor that we all think of as honey. So that's at best. So all the honey at grocery stores is what's called blended. And that's what that means. Um, and then of course, there's certainly lots of honeys at the grocery store that aren't real honey. Um, mm. Honey is one of the top three most adulterated foods um, in the country. I think the current list is olive oil, milk, and honey, I think are the top three. Um, so you've got that. But then on the flip side, even if it is true and real honey, it's been heated and filtered. And when you pasteurize it, you just like with milk, you lose a lot of like the beauty of the flavor. And so we don't do any of that at Two Hives. Um, we, we keep our honey raw. We harvest in very small batches and we keep the batches separate because what we harvest in June in this neighborhood in 2021 could be totally different in the June of 2022. So for example, two or three, as three years ago, for whatever reason, 
the bee bomb. It feels like every year in Texas, there's like a wildflower of the year that just seems to do really well. And three mm-hmm. years ago, bee bomb was the flower that did really well. Bee bomb is this really funky kind of purple looking flower. It's in the mint family. I always call it the Dr. Seuss flower. It's like very just like funky. <laughs> yeah. And it was everywhere. And so our harvest from that year was full of bee bombs. So it had this like beautiful mint and vanilla flavor, but we didn't get that the next year. So by just treating the honey with the respect that I think it deserves, given how hard it is for the bees to make. Um, so it's rather about like what we don't do than what we do, if that makes sense. Absolutely. I mean, I, I think the thing that um, really stuck out to me, a couple of things did. Um, what What is the reason for somebody pasteurizing honey before selling it? Um, does honey go bad? Is Does that give them more of it? What what makes it more affordable for them to do that? That's a great question. So they pasteurize it because pasteurizing keeps honey from crystallizing. So okay. if you've ever bought honey, you know, at the market and you take it home and then in a month or whatever, it turns to a solid. Right. They don't want that to happen um, because one, they bottle it in plastic and with plastic lids with tiny holes and you can't get the honey out. Right. Mm-hmm. And two, like those big brand companies, consistency is key, right? They want their product to taste and look exactly the same all the time. And when you allow your honey to crystallize, you have to educate the consumer. And obviously they're not in a market right. where they can do that. Whereas for us, it's a huge burden that we own though. So like, I know a lot of local beekeepers who will come up to us. I've had, sorry, gentlemen, but it's always a man (laughs) that comes up to me and says, I've had several men pick up a jar of our honey that's crystallized and say, you really shouldn't sell it like this. Wow. And my thought is always, okay, so I can, I can sell you honey that's in our honey crystallizes different honeys crystallize at different rates. So the honey we crystallize in this or that we harvest in the spring crystallizes I mean, within days. And then in the fall, Mm -hmm. it's much slower, but we just allow it to naturally do what it does. And so my options are as follows. I can one, do what we do currently, which is allow it to naturally crystallize and put it in vessels where you can still get it out. Meaning we're not going to put anything in plastic, right? And sell it. And when the customer comes up to point of sale, we say, this is natural. This is why you want your honey to do this. That means we haven't heated it. We haven't treated it. It's got all the good for you stuff left in it. And then they go home and they know how to make it liquid if that's what they want to do. Or I can work really hard to keep it all liquid until you buy it. You buy it. You don't get that information. You go home and a month later, it's going to crystallize. And then you think I sold you a product that's spoiled and you never come back again. So I've never understood why local beekeepers work so hard to keep it liquid when you can just educate the consumer at the point of sale. Um, I, I think a lot of it is kind of why anyone in a small business is successful or not successful. You are somebody who is ready to educate. And I think that makes all the difference. Um, And if, it also, obviously, there's a lot more cost to the fact that you have to also educate your customers and the extra effort. And, you know, listen, I, I have learned that a lot of uh, small business people who are doing something craft, they might not have this extra skill of explaining the product. So 
I think you're, you're right. a little bit of ahead of the curve on that front as well. Yeah, because um, it t- you're right. It's like a different skill set yes. than just sitting behind a table and like performing a transaction for sure. You know, and it strikes me also when you're talking about, uh, you know, in 2021 in South Austin, it might taste like this, but you're not going to get the same thing, you know, in 2022. Um is there an idea of, of keeping certain honey vintages or does it just not work like that at all? Meaning like in how we label it? Well, in kind of like, would it make sense to even say, I'm going to save this block from 2021 and, and package it. And, you know, that's something that's going to be usable in, in a couple of years. It's going to look different. It's going to be solid, but is there any future in that idea of, keeping you know years of honey um and you know for for years to come or just does it doesn't work that way got it yes so the way that we do things yes um so because we harvest in such small batches and we get these little surprises from time Mm -hmm. to time um and so we do label a lot of our honeys with you know where it came from um and whatnot and so the and and I, i think it's worth noting honey doesn't age per se, meaning mm-hmm. so like if I harvest it today, it's not going to taste any better or worse in a year. The texture, it will be crystallized, um, but it's not right. going to age, um, you know, like some other products would, but we certainly hoard different batches. And the reason is because we love to do these honey sensory classes and honey tastings where we like to share, we like to educate about how bees make honey, how you different get different kinds of honey, how we can control some of these elements to get different textures of honey. And we like to speak about it through the different honeys that we can share. So right now, for example, we are running really low because we had a really bad year last year um, after Mm -hmm. the freeze, you know, which really killed us. It messed with all of the flora. So we had this crazy storm in February of 2021, um, killed 30% of our hives, messed with all the flora for the next four months. And then we had a really rainy spring. So that resulted in a very poor harvest. And so we didn't get some of the single origin honeys that we normally get. And so we are hoarding (laughs) little, like literally we're down to like, we have three quarts of mesquite honey left and we're saving it for this very special class where we want to be able to talk about the mesquite honey. And thankfully honey doesn't for all intents and purposes, spoil um or ferment and so it allows us to hold on to product and then pull it out at different times so like for example we're doing a special um honey sensory class um in a few weeks um both a shipped option where people around the country can can order and then one here at the honey ranch here in austin and we wanted very specific honeys to share with that so we've been hoarding honey for that for those reasons that's incredible and it must, it must be like, definitely, I guess, like a, like a, a real discipline and patience. It sounds like. <laughs> it is, you know, I was, so last week, me and my ops person were sitting down and we've got four or five upcoming classes that we're really excited about. And we, I, I realized, I thought we're like, we've gotten the world of curation <laughs> because yeah. we're like, we have this 
these seven different honeys and we've got these 10 different third party honeys that we really like that are made by other beekeepers. And these are kind of the topics that we want to discuss. We've got a rare honeys class we're going to do in a couple of months. And then we've got this Valentine's Day class and we want the honeys to all be either aphrodisiac or have some stories behind the floor, some like love mythical stories. And we're trying to pick and choose. And I thought we're just, we're curating. We've gotten in the world of curating honeys, if that's even a thing. Um, is And speaking of curating honey, so then is there like a specific kind of honey that you, you yourself, whenever, you know, it, it gets harvested with a certain flower and, and pollinated that you're like super excited about? Um, is there one that like really stands out for you? Yeah. So of, of our honeys, um, there's a few. Um, so of, in terms of single origins, we have, um, honey mesquite, um, mm-hmm. which is a tree or a shrub rather that's native to Texas. Um, it's got this really amazing story and I love anything with a good story too. So this kind of does double duty here, but mesquite's got this great story, you know, native Americans, it's a very special um, plant for native Americans. They use the whole plant, lots of different ways. It produces these pods and these beans that you can grind down and you can make flour out of. But the irony is that Texans hate this plant because it's got about three inch (laughs) length thorns all over it and there's this thought that it sucks up all the water it actually doesn't it just does does really well during times of drought um but you know the thorns get in cattle and they stab your tires and whatnot but it produces these teeny little yellow flowers that makes this divine honey that we get in july of every year and we actually didn't get a harvest this past year so that's why we're still hoarding mesquite from you know, 2020 is what we're holding on to. Um, but mesquite honey is definitely my favorite. It's got this electric yellow color. Um, it's got this um, almost like marzipan flavor, like that Absolutely. kind of almond flavor. It yeah. text- and when it crystallizes, it crystallizes in a sugared texture, very similar to marzipan, actually, I just realized. So that's my favorite um, single origin that we get, um, we get one other that I don't know if you've had deep, but we, we get this single origin out of dripping Springs, which is, and, um, that is just Southwest of Austin for those of y'all that aren't familiar. And there is a plant. Are you familiar with the Texas persimmon? I am, I am familiar with persimmons, but I didn't know that there was a specific difference between Tell me, yeah. tell me more about Texas persimmon here. So the persimmons that we all know, the orange ones, mm-hmm. right, are Asian. Um, I, I Maybe Japan. I'm not exactly sure where in Asia, but definitely in East Asia. That's where they're from. So they're not native. Okay. But Texas has a native persimmon uh, tree. We've got them all over the ranch here, the kind of shrubby little bushes. And they make tiny little purple fruits, almost black. I mean, they're the size of like, a very large grape, maybe a little bit larger than a cherry. And you can, mm. you can eat the fruits. Um, you can make jams and jellies of them. They got a big seed in the middle, but these grow plentifully um, in the rocky dry soil of dripping Springs. And the honey that's produced from the Texas persimmons is really dark in color and very viscous. And I'm already sold. Molasses. It's, <laughs> It's almost black, like motor oil. And it's not everybody. It's the funny thing is, is that, so we got this for the first time four or five years ago. 
And the beekeepers hate harvesting it because it's so viscous. So normally when we Mm. harvest honey, you know, you have to extract it, which means it spins in a centrifuge and then it runs through a little filter. And that usually takes, you know, 10, 15 minutes. Well, this is so thick. It takes almost 24 hours for it to run through our machinery. So the beekeepers hate it, (laughs) rightfully so, because it's very time intensive to harvest. And when I first pulled it, it's not super sweet. Um, It's just got this kind of really organic, earthy flavor that is not everybody's cup of tea, I recognize. And we didn't really know what to do with it. And this was before we were doing honey sensory classes. Mm -hmm. And we just kind of sat on it because my fear was that if we jarred it and sold it and people didn't know what they were getting, they wouldn't be very happy with it. So we sat on it for a while. And then when we started doing these honey sensory classes, we started featuring it because we wanted to have this rainbow of flavors. And when we would let people sample it before, we weren't finding many people liked it. And then we found when we would feature it in these classes, it became one of the favorite honeys on the plate. And I have a couple of theories of why. One, I think probably the people that take these honey sensory classes have a much more open mind and dare I say, sophisticated palate (laughs) than maybe others that are just sampling at a market, right? And then my second theory is that I think when you give a story to anything, it becomes much more enticing. And that is why one of our core values is tell the story. Um, And so I think when we tell the story of where this honey comes from, and we talk about tree and we talk about the fruit and we talk about how the beekeepers hate to harvest it because it's such a pain and it's so much time and it's so much work yeah, and it's so rare for us to get, then all of a sudden you've it's this multifaceted thing that you're dealing with instead of just a one note. It's honey. Do you like it or do you not? You've already bought into the whole story. Right. And so we call it our secret menu, honey, and we have it for sale. You have to come into the shop and ask for it, you know, ask for the persimmon or the dripping springs, or just say, can I have the secret menu, honey? (laughs) Um, Because again, we want people to know what they're getting when they're taking it home. And it's kind of fun to have a secret menu item. I mean, you, you already know I'm going to be texting you after (laughs) this because I need to get more honey to ferment for, the separate club and um yeah i am definitely wanting some of this persimmon honey it sounds incredible um there's no other way to say it i i also love the fact that um when you do talk about your honey you're not just talking about you know the sweetness or the citrusness of it you you've you get into the complexities of honey um that, that I think a lot of people ignore. And maybe it is because everything is batched, but you know, you usually see, at least I do in grocery stores, you'll see, you know, it'll say local honey. And a lot of it will always say orange blossom. Did you know, do you notice that too? Like it's always oh. some sort of orange situation happening on a label. I, okay. So there's a honey company around that sells an avocado honey, meaning all of the hmm. nectar comes from avocado trees. And I always have people when I say, you know, just because it's got the city that you live in on the bottle does not mean it's actually produced there. It means it's bottled there, but like that doesn't necessarily mean it's produced there. And I've had people argue with me and I'm, my, I'm always quick to say, 
show me the avocado trees like <laughs> there's no great trees. point or <laughs> you know like you know orange blossom for example like how many orange groves do you know that are in austin texas <laughs> You know, this is actually, uh, it seems so simple when you say it, because I'm, I'm connecting the dots while you're, you're telling me like, come on, think about it for a second. But I would not have thought about it at all. If I was at the grocery store, I would just be like, oh, okay, avocado honey. Yeah. You know, put it into my cart. Let me move on with my day. Like, yeah. And I totally understand it. Right. I mean, I, I, I this is my uh, area of expertise. So obviously I'm like quick to point all these things out, but but you're right. It, it's it wouldn't be obvious to someone that didn't really know the connection between when something says orange blossom honey, like what that yeah. means, because there are infused honeys, right? So just like winemakers, you know, can take egg whites and use mm-hmm. egg whites to make different. They use it to take out the yeah. They clarify their wine yeah, with it. yeah yeah. I just learned that a few weeks ago, and um, so just like they. They can do things after the fact. Beekeepers can do things after the fact. So mm-hmm. they can do what's called infusing honey, which means adding flavor, usually through like oils, right? Um, mm-hmm. And so it is possible that if you see, usually when you see lavender honey, it's not that the honey came from lavender plants, though that is possible. But usually mm. when you see lavender honey, it's where beekeepers have taken lavender either oils or flowers and infused it after the fact. But the, the labeling on honey is so poor and it does such a disservice to the customer because usually you just don't even know. You don't know the origin. You don't know what they've done to it. Um, and so it, I can see how consumers would just be confused. And is this because you know, is, is honey still basically like a little bit, uh, at least on the producer side, a little bit on the, the wild west in the sense, like you can, you can be as pure as you want, such as yourself, or you can, you can literally kind of enhance your label to whatever you need it to be. Uh, What is the regulation on honey? And and how is that even possible that uh, there can be so many kind of misconceptions on, on where a particular honey comes from? Yeah, I wrote, I, I did our newsletter on this exact topic uh, okay. a couple of months ago on adulterated foods and told some of the history of adulterated foods and how, you know, some of the laws came about as a result of things like blue milk that was being sold in New York and making thousands of children sick in the wow. early 20th century. Um And honey, like I say, is one of the most adulterated foods um, out there at its worst, meaning they, it's not real honey, Mm -hmm. but just the labeling too. And when you, when you start looking at the regulatory agencies, you've got the USDA and you've got the FDA and they both kind of point at each other. Like it's, you know, there was literally a news article that I found where they went out to both agencies and was asking who was responsible. And they both kind of pointed the other way. And so it's just one of those areas where the labeling is just poor and people get away with it and they have not focused their energy on fixing that problem. And, you know, out of all the products that they may choose to not crack down on honey would be the easiest because it's the least likely to make anybody sick, right? Unlike milk, mm-hmm. where if you're selling milk, that's been poorly labeled, it might, it could kill someone literally. Yeah. Right. And honey, you know, is sugar is what they say. And so it's not a high risk food. So I can see why they don't focus their energies on it. 
but the economic repercussions are huge for producers. So in the United States, by far and large, most all beekeepers no longer make their money off of honey. They choose other uh, ways to, hmm. to make their money, which usually involves pollination services, meaning they drive their bees around to pollinate farms because nobody can make money in honey because all of the cheap honey coming from China that's dumped in the U.S. and resold and oftentimes is not even real honey at cents, <laughs> cents yeah. per pound. No one can compete with that. You know, right. the only reason we can compete is because we're small and we're artisan and we're small batch and we're going to continue to stay small. And that way we can, you know, we can charge a more fair price because we have, we put all the money into the marketing and the branding and the education and all that. Um, but it would be very hard for um, like a large honey packer to um, compete with the cheap prices at the grocery store when you're just, again, it's a commodity. So you're going to buy what's cheapest, right? This feels so similar to me to to essentially the modern chef story and the, essentially the rise of internet culture you know because I, I do see now that there's famous you know honey tiktokers and you know you can like you said you you basically are able to build a revenue stream and it kind of sounds like you in a way you kind of have to build different revenue streams that isn't just necessarily like I am making my money off of this honeycomb you are you are making your money on on everything else just so you can sell your honey um and i feel a really like this is similar to the chef story because less chefs need to actually be in restaurants i mean i'm guilty as charged as well where you know being in a restaurant uh, working for that amount of hours the labor um, there's better ways to do it now you know um, right where do you see the honey industry in, in the next five years? Um, how do you think all of this is shaping it? Yeah, you know, it's so interesting. I would love to say that I, so the hobbyist beekeeping market, at least in Texas, mm -hmm. and I think in other places as well, has just exploded. And I think that's good in a lot of ways because You've got more people out there reaching more folks, you know, whether they're selling their few jars they get on Facebook or they're going to a market. When you've got more people in an area more informed about how our food is produced and why we should look for the quality and why it does make a difference, it benefits that industry. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I, I am excited about how many hobbyist beekeepers are getting, are getting in the, in the business, but I don't see the honey dumping and the adulterated honey um, better anytime yeah. soon. I just don't ever see that being a priority for our regulatory agencies. And so unfortunately, I, I think we're going to continue to see honey prices on the commodity market just drop and drop and drop and drop. Fortunately, I mean, for someone like me, who's a small, small batch, you know, beekeeper who mm -hmm. doesn't have aspirations to run 10,000 hives, because I can't run 10,000 hives the way that I run my 400 hives. I just can't, mm -hmm. right? It's like in any ag operation, the larger you grow, you're going to have to make cuts. And it usually comes at a yeah. sacrifice of your more sustainable practices. And so I'm just fortunate that I live in an area where people are really excited and open to listening to our messages. And, you know, with say what you will about social media, 
if I didn't run a business, I wouldn't be on it at all. Where in, you know, here in Austin, central Texas, you've got people that are excited about food and, Mm -hmm. you know, dare we use the cliche term foodies, but excited to learn more about that. Yeah. Um, You know, and, and social media, you know, say what you will about it, but it does really provide a great avenue for us to get our messaging out to folks um, far beyond Austin. And we have people that buy our honey from all over the country and anxiously await when we're, you know, when we're doing a new release of something new and fun that we're excited about and jump on that. And so I feel very fortunate that we've got so many folks that are willing to listen to our messaging. And I like to think that we're making a difference, albeit probably a small one, but in terms of educating people through Instagram on how honey is made and how Mm -hmm. you get this rainbow of colors and flavors and how to get access to that true, real honey. Um, so, uh, well, before, before I even continue, so this does mean that you ship nationally. So if someone is listening to this in California, they can get your honey. Yeah, we do. And we've actually got a a fun class coming up. I'll tell you about when the time is right that people can jump in on from anywhere in the continental U S that is great news. So what should, let's say that someone wants to, you know, they're in Connecticut and they're like, I want to buy local Connecticut honey. What are things that they can do to look at a label? Um, and, you know, f- are there any ways to look at a label and kind of have a little bit of discernment to see if, if you're getting a little bit of the real thing or, um, you know, avocado honey? <laughs> yeah, I think that, you know, I hate to throw the just visit your local farmer's market, but mm-hmm. it really like finding local, if you want honey that's produced in your area, you have to find the beekeepers. Um, and so that could be visiting local farmers markets and talking, you know, again, people can be, you know, do not necessarily the right things, even at farmers markets too. And so making sure you're just asking questions, are you the beekeeper, right? Did you produce this honey? And of course people can lie, but we got at some point, just give people the benefit of the doubt. But I think finding your local beekeepers, Um, And asking them, you know, who produced this honey? Are they your hives? And then if it is, then you can ask them all the questions that you want. Then you can find out the story on their honey and find out the kind of plants or flowers that they think are in each of those honeys and get to know them and get to know their processes and whatnot. And then also small markets. Mm -hmm. I think um, my experience has been that some of the smaller, like, many markets, you know, kind of in, and from the lower end to the higher end tend to do a really good job of buying locally from local beekeepers. And so visiting those smaller markets that aren't, you know, big box name stores typically tend to carry a lot of local products as well. And then you can visit, uh, visit them. I always like to say, if the branding's really bad, it's probably local. (laughs) You know, that actually is a great way it's the same thing, though, like, um, whenever someone asks me, you know, where do you get, um, you know, the best squash, the best tomatoes, it's typically from a dude that barely knows how to Facebook. Um, yes. And, you know, is is a little bit like uh, shy. And um, yes, yeah, it's going to your local farmers market and, and going to the guy that you know, was working really, really hard. 
Yeah, <laughs> the you know, for with small businesses in general, there's often not someone who's in charge of like marketing and branding. Yeah. That's the last thing they're thinking about, particularly ag businesses. And usually beekeeping businesses are not super sophisticated operations. And it's like one guy or gal and maybe mm-hmm. a spouse and a son or something. And so, yeah, honey companies, we stand out because I put a lot of time yeah. and energy into like the branding of our products. Cause I know it's really important and we've got a price point and I want to be able to support that price point and we show all the work that we put into that but that yeah. is not the norm and so yeah find <laughs> the worst branding and then buy that honey and then you're good <laughs> find find a label with a sharpie on it yes you're, you're there yes you're there 100 that's got like the old ounces marked out and written in by hand <laughs> yeah actually i think that's great advice and then um i kind of wanted to end on a on a fun note um where, what are the most interesting honey pairings you've seen? What are your favorite honey pairings? And especially the ones that are, that might be surprising to people. Meaning like honey with other types of foods. Yeah. Um, Okay. So I'm going to focus a little bit on comb honey, which may not be, everyone may not have had that, but I think you get the most interesting pairings with it. So comb honey is honey that you get you know, you buy and it's still in the wax hexagons that the bees made. So the beekeeper just cuts it out of the hive and puts it in a box and sells it to you. And it's harder to find these days. And I'll tell you what, if you want real honey, buy comb honey, because you can't fake it. You can't fake comb honey. That's for sure. And that's a great tip. (laughs) So, um, yeah, so comb honey is really divine because it's got this. So, I'll back up for a second. Food companies spend an exorbitant amount of money um, on the crunch level of a food, right? So the makers of Doritos know exactly what level of crunch we tend to like in our chips. And they spend all this money on this research. And they found that people really like foods that change the texture changes in their mouth. So think of our favorite Mm -hmm. foods. So think about like pizza or bread, right? crunchy on the outside and really doughy on the middle Mm -hmm. or like an Oreo, like a crunchy cookie. And then you've got like the soft cream in the middle. We really like this change of textures as you bite into food. And that's what comb honey allows. It's got this like chewy waxy outside and then this like burst of honey in the middle. And so I really like pairing um, comb honey with foods because it provides this really, really interesting texture. And so, you know, you've got your typical like cheeses, bloomy rind cheeses work really great with comb honey. But I really like if we're going like real low brow here, I really like comb honey in between. So if you're going to make a grilled cheese, same idea. Oh my God. Instead of the cheese in the middle, put peanut butter and comb honey, maybe a banana, some cacao chips. If you like really want to go crazy Holy fuck! and then grill it. (laughs) And then you've got like 20 different textures, you know, all at once. Um, that's my favorite way to eat comb honey, but it's also so much more versatile than people like think about, you know, you could put comb honey on arugula salad with some like Mm. salt on top because you've got the bitter and the salt and the sweet all at the same time. Um, there's all sorts of fun things that you can do with comb honey. I also really enjoy 
a hot sweet potato and then putting comb honey on top with cinnamon. It's also a little bit of a low, yep. <laughs> a low brow way to go. Um, but comb honey is really fun to play with because of the texture. Um, and people can play around with, you know, we, inf- we do some infusions. We don't do a ton. We do one special infusion a month, but um, you can infuse your own honey at home if you want to like play on with flavors, just a little bit of heat and a little bit of time, whatever, you know, you're interested in, just make sure that when you're infusing your own honey, you don't put any moisture in that honey. So if you're going to use herbs, for example, they mm. have to be dried. If you're going to use lavender flower heads, they have to be dried, but you can play around with that at home too. We infuse um, some honey with juniper uh, oh, wow. for the holidays. And it's one of the best infusions we've ever done. And it was just a, a staff member was like, it's cedar time. Everyone hates cedar. Let's infuse it into uh, <laughs> And for people not in Texas, we call juniper cedar. It's like yes. the weirdest thing. It's a total misnomer. I don't know how or why we do that, but they're like, everyone hates cedar fever. Let's put it in the honey. <laughs> you know, honestly, brilliant, especially because, you know, the best, one of the best things I love about honey is that not only do I know that it's good for me, but I buy local. So that way it gets my allergies are horrible. So I love the fact that you're like, yeah, put cedar in there. Let's, (laughs) let's do this. Let's make this count. You know? Yeah. Um, I, you know, I'm, I'm so happy that you were able to do this podcast, but, uh, you know, one of the things I've loved about not just our personal friendship, but uh, is I feel like I've actually learned more about honey and I've, I've talked to you about honey now, I think I've, at least over a hundred times, you know, um, you just, you just have always just a, a dearth, a wealth of knowledge. Um, I feel like you need to do your own honey podcast uh, is my, oh my gosh, Deepa, I, <laughs> I, I have wanted to for so long and I just, I wish there was like 50 hours in a day because I just want to do new things all the time. And also for everyone that doesn't know, I have a newborn and um, newborns are really hard. (laughs) I only have 20 hours of childcare. So I'm currently trying to fit a full-time, more than full-time job of running a business into 20 hours per week because that's how much childcare I have each week. And also like I'm writing a book because that's something I've always wanted to do in a book and I've also decided I want to buy another business it's one of the ones at the farmer's market I won't say it here but I'll tell you about it later we'll see if it comes together and Aiden's like so you're gonna buy another business (laughs) and now I'm gonna go downstairs and be like but Deepa really thinks I should do a podcast too so maybe I should you know I think Aiden is going to slowly hate me, but I will just make sure to feed him double next time I see him. <laughs> yes, that's <laughs> really all he needs. <laughs> um, well, thank you so much for answering my may- many questions, the good ones and the bad ones. Um, you're always a joy to speak to, Tara. Um, yeah, this was so great. Absolutely. And of course, before we end, uh, I wanted to get back to the class you were talking about, but also give you the opportunity to plug anything else fun that's happening with two hives. Yeah. Okay. So we, if you're ever in Austin or if you're in Austin, please come see us. We've got a fun honey ranch, just a mile or so East of the Austin city limits. 
tours are starting up this spring and we've always got tours and classes and all sorts of fun things going on. So spring's a fun time to hang out around here. Um, but if you are not in Austin, we are really excited that we're starting to do some of our very popular honey sensory classes, but in a way that you can participate even if you aren't in Austin. And our first one is on February 12th. And what uh, you go, go to our website, go to the online shop and you'll, you can buy your kit for the class. And the kit is a beautiful cheese board from Casero, this awesome woman owned business here in Austin. So you'll get a mm -hmm. cheese board from her, five cheeses, two ounces each with all the accompaniment. So plenty of cheese for four, if you wanted, and then we're going to send you a box of three full-size honeys, three of our favorite honeys. One of them will be ours. And then there's going to be a Hawaiian honey in there. And then there's a really fun single origin honey, um, a really dark honey that we're going to share along with all the things that we do in our honey sensory classes. There's some activities and some um, a honey wheel that's going to give you some descriptors of how to describe the honey and then tune in and we'll send you a zoom link. And on February 12th at 6 PM central, we're going to Celia. Uh, one of our team members is going to do an actual live honey sensory. And so we can ship that anywhere in the continental U.S. And if it goes well, and I hope it will, we're going to keep doing those. So keep looking out for those kinds of things. Um, absolutely. And I know I've already thanked you, but I'm thanking you one more time. Uh, I'm going to call you after this so we can catch up for a little bit. But thank you again, Tara, for doing this. And y'all go visit Two Hives. Go online. Follow her. Um, yeah, she's fucking dope. Oh yeah. And we're at two hives, spell the two out. My best advice. If you ever start a business, do not include a number in your business name <laughs> because forever till the day on my tombstone, it's going to write, spell out the number two spell is what I'm going to put on my grave. <laughs> That's right. Thanks Steve. This was great. All right. Bye Tara. I know.